mindful of that. And so uh, it's good to gather together. It's good to be around. It's going to make a quick comment about the pastoral matter. Uh, Nerily and Brian Deans are part of our congregation here at 6pm. They're not here tonight uh, because they're with us at 10 o'clock. But I can, Matthew's here. I I think I can see Jazz down there and Tess. Is that right? I know the Richard and George are here. Uh, But uh, uh, Jazz uh, and uh, George is their granddad passed away. Nerily's dad passed away during the week. And so we'll do a service for them here on Thursday as we celebrate Malcolm's life. And so I'll keep that uh, in my prayers as well. Just thought you'd like to know that because Nerily and Brian are key members of our congregation as the kids are. So I just wanted you to know what I know. Um, again, church, it helped me as I think about this and as I think not just about this year but indeed the next 10 years. I love the fact that we have a decade before us and there are two questions and I don't want us as church members to be like that little character but two questions that keep coming up. What is the key characteristic or characteristics of the church of the future that God is building, that God is building as he expands his kingdom? And the second question, what does future discipleship look like? And I know Shane and others have, like I do, a passion for discipleship. What does discipleship in the future look like as we wrestle with all the change that we're seeing around us, with all the challenges that are, that are out there? And maybe they're growing, but they're certainly there. And so maybe no matter how we answer those questions, uh, I think Matthew 18, and it shouldn't surprise you that Matthew's gospel is dear to my heart, hopefully it's a powerful gospel in your life too, but Matthew 18, maybe we don't read it too much because it's challenging and if you have any sense from what Matthew himself read tonight, how appropriate, there are tough words in it. There are tough words that we might sometimes like to skip over. And so before I jump in, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are a gracious God. You give us all things. And we're mindful as we pray, Father, for those who might uh, be mourning the loss of loved ones. We lift up the Dean's family and others and pray for them as they prepare to farewell uh, their father. And for us, Father, as we gather here tonight, may it be that we continue to seek after you, to have ears to hear. May our hearts be in line with your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. In Matthew 18, in terms of the story of Matthew's Gospel as it is written, Matthew 18, Jesus is talking directly to his disciples. He's not talking to crowds as he did back in uh, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, the great Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking about some things that really matter in terms of attitude of heart, character, the things that we hold on to. And so it's important to grab that. And expectations about what does this gathered community look like? And uh, the great theologian Bonhoeffer writes about this gathered community, that who we are, happens because of our relationship with Christ. Because we relate to Jesus, we relate to each other. And maybe some of you tasted that uh, indeed through Ignite, which Shane mentioned as well. This new community uh, where discipleship is expressed, this faith community will always and must always lie in humility. Where there is accountability, as Matthew 18 speaks, where there is profound forgiveness and reconciliation. Sometimes we might be good at the forgiveness aspect, but the reconciliation aspect, man, we've got a lot to learn about. Can you reconcile a brother or sister or anyone, I use that word intentionally, on a day like today? It needs to happen. Uh, And these are indeed different days that we live in. And uh, a few weeks ago, I do some old school things still. I buy what is called a newspaper. You can pick them up at garages and things like that. Um, And two weeks ago, uh, Bernard Salt is a demographer. So you might have heard of Bernard Salt. And he wrote about if he was writing the future of the world, what would he say? And he said this. Uh, he said, I wonder whether in my history of the future it will be possible to show 
there's been a shift in the way Australians see the next decade. I think we've gone from seeing the future through a lens of unfailing optimism, perhaps to the point of naivety, to a weirdly religious perspective that an almighty judgment day awaits us all lest we repent of our wicked ways. Interesting to read that in a newspaper. Of course, it wouldn't surprise you that I might hold to a similar perspective. That there is a day waiting. I know that's waiting for me when uh, I call up stumps and God calls me home, when I stand before him and give account of my life. But indeed, we know of the reality of how we live in this life. And it shouldn't surprise us all that it matters, as it always has done, as it mattered to Jesus as he spoke to the disciples about how we live our life. And just to give you a small glimpse, jumping back to Matthew 5, 6 and 7, think of what, uh, what we read in those parts. It's not the hard parts of scripture that I struggle with. It's the direct, easy parts. Love your enemy. Like, there's no confusion there, is there? Uh, pray for those who hurt you. It's pretty direct. Forgive those who offend you. Matthew 6. And at the end of Matthew 7, there's a warning too as well. What about Matthew 18? Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then towards the end of Matthew 18, where Peter is speaking to Jesus and challenging Jesus on the issues of forgiveness, and says, well, you know, Surely, if uh, Peter Jones annoys me, surely if I forgive him seven times, isn't that a lot? And you'd all say, yeah, that's a lot, Ian. That's it. I tell you, no. Not seven times, but 77 times. You never stop forgiving. That's how important it is in the world we live in. And as we again think about this happens, you see, the funny thing, this doesn't, these things aren't important when things are going well, when I'm feeling up. These things are challenging me in the worst moments, as in when someone is offending me, when I'm being hurt. That's when you're supposed to do this stuff. Not when it's okay, don't worry. When you're being most, ugh. And you may not want to ask, what would Jesus do? I'll tell you what would Jesus do. I can go to the cross and know what Jesus would do. Father, forgive them. We're called to do the same thing. And when I think about the future and this year and beyond and think about what are some of the things, how do we put this in some words? Here are some words I want to give you. Generosity should be evident. Uh, grace must always be key to all that is said and done and the gospel proclamation must be a priority. Generosity. Uh, I'll show you in a moment, and I haven't shown it in the last weeks, what the total outcome has been of Gift Day of last year. But many of you know when it comes to generosity, especially through this year's Ignite, many of those who served have maybe had a whole new taste of what it means to be servants uh, and to be generous in attitude, in forgiveness and all those things. Maybe there's things that you over the next few weeks will even wrestle with because maybe others weren't as generous to you, but that's not the call, is it? Uh, grace must always be there. And the gospel, we must continue to be on about our Father's business. Uh, gift day last year, hopefully you remember what I was. Here's what happened. Uh, the target on the right, $110,000, we have actually received $142,100. Not only has every target been matched, most of them have been surpassed. And so I encourage you to put your hands together. Thank everyone. This community... It's a wonderful thing. You know, generous hearts. How will God use us to play a role in the building and expansion of his kingdom? Through 
generosity of heart, through graciousness of spirit, and through proclaiming the name of Jesus. It really matters how we live these radical kingdom values. And we know, well, maybe it's an old age thing, don't say that to me, but I tell you what, the older you get, the longer you live with the Lord Jesus Christ, the more you see how different you are to the world around you. The values you have, the things that matter, the importance of uh, forgiveness and all those things. So I want to address that tonight in a couple of ways. So firstly, uh, rising downwards. They're weird words to use, I know, to find true greatness. I'm sure uh, that no one would like to have that as their company image, church attendance, uh, business, uh, income, Jeans West being closed. It's not a good picture. But in terms of the kingdom of God, when it comes to this question of greatness, who is the greatest? You have to go down and be like a servant. More than that, to be like a child. That's very clear as you hear those words that Jesus spoke. And probably this is true when you, if you can remember in one sense back in Matthew 16 verse 24 when Jesus challenges those who follow him to take up your cross and follow me. So we read these words in Matthew 8 and at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked, great question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and he said, truly I tell you, Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's speaking to his disciples. I do not think that they're expecting this to be said. I don't even know that you're thinking that this is how you find true greatness. True greatness, to become like a child. A true greatness, I mean, at the moment we see lots of sport on, lots of things happening, Triple J's uh, Top 100 is out, you know, which is the greatest song, the best song last year. Uh, isn't it great? You know how old you are when you look at the top 10, you think, huh? Never heard of it. Uh, who's the best tennis player? Ash Barty, clearly. You know, and you're all cheering Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> you know, who's been the greatest... Anyone, senior minister, assistant, who's the greatest warden? Do you know wardens get together once a year and discuss who's been the greatest warden? Parish councillors do it. I'm sure last week, Ignite, uh, they, all the leaders got together at night when all the young people went home and discussed who's the greatest and best Ignite leader amongst them all. Isn't that right, Sam? Don't respond. Um, you know, we are so fascinated with this question. Who is the greatest? As the disciples were. And the funny thing is, if you went just back a few verses back to about uh, Matthew 17, verse 22... Jesus tells them what's happened to him. I'm going to head up to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to die a terrible death on the cross. I'm going to rise again. And what you see, the disciples actually feel really quite overwhelmed with grief. In the blink of an eye, as they keep walking, this question comes up. But who's the greatest? And you want to check out the other Gospels. Luke 9 affirms this. Mark 9 has the same story. And I think we are fascinated with this question as humans. Who is the greatest? And the world is interested in who is the greatest. Social media clearly is interested in who is the greatest. Uh, in Luke 9, we see again this question. I love the uh, current language of goat. If you don't know what that means, you can talk to me after. Luke 9, again, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Look at the child. And Jesus knows what they're thinking. A little while ago, I don't want to get political, some of you might 
vote Liberal, some might vote Labor. But I always remember Kerry O'Brien interviewing a former Prime Minister. Let's say his name's Paul Keating. And at the start of the interview, uh, Kerry O'Brien, great ABC interview, asked Paul, um, like many Prime Ministers before you, Paul, many of them write their own story. How come you haven't written your own autobiography about who you are? And Keating quoting someone else, and I can't remember who he was quoting, but he made the comment, he said this. People say, well, if you're any good, someone else will write about you. It's a great comment. And I've got to tell you, if you actually think of yourself too highly, that's a problem. We'll get to that in a moment or two. But there's a truth to that. If you're after greatness, then be the greatest servant amongst all others. Maybe the disciples were embarrassed that Jesus could hear it. Maybe Peter's thinking, I'm pretty good. Maybe James and John are thinking, what about me? I'm not too bad. You know, our treasurer, our current treasurer, awesome guy who's here tonight, maybe he's thinking clearly he's the best treasurer of all time. You know, no one else has gone before him can compare. Isn't that right, Andrew? Don't respond. This push to be greatest, of course, it could be an outward display, but sometimes we might carry it in our hearts as well. You might hear someone preaching, singing, you know, the guitarist. You know, how good is Bo or the guitarist? Is he as good as Greg? I don't know. You know, I'm sure Ethan has a chat room. Is that right on drummers? Who's a good drummer or not? And they debate who's the best drummer in the bands. You might have singers, but I prefer this singer or that singer. Who's the best singer? We do, but we might keep it in our hearts, which is a danger. Because it means we're forming different thoughts and not being humble in that way. Uh, we can do it in our culture as well, can't we? Who was the greatest Spider-Man of all time? All those in favour of Tom Holland? Ooh, all those in favour of Andrew Garfield? Uh, what about Tobey Maguire? <laughs> you can debate that later on, next time you go out. Uh, there's lots of things we can debate about who's the greatest whatever. We are fascinated with that. We all know which is the best Star Wars movie. <laughs> greatness. You know, what's the litmus test of greatness? Be like a child. What's the litmus test? Be like a child. Don't be proud. Don't be, can I say it, full of yourself. Uh, it doesn't work. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said in Mark 10. And receiving a child in uh, your arms is like receiving Jesus and receiving Jesus is like receiving God. It's all connected because it takes humility. I watched my granddaughter jumping, uh, Matilda jumping into the arms of her dad or mum, Ben and Emma. And again, you said all the comments with little kids, I'll stand here uh, and, and the dad or mum will be there and, and in a pool and I'll just jump. It wouldn't occur to them that dad or mum are going to go, oops, <laughs> sorry about that. They catch them because they trust them, childlike trust. Uh, and we need, we're called to do that. I was reading a writer, George MacDonald, and he was saying this, and maybe some of you felt this during Ignite, Ignite, I don't know. But he made the comment, when we're out of sympathy with the young, then I think our work in the world is over. If you find the young annoying, this is all rhetorical, I do not want you to respond right now. If you find the young annoying, grandchildren annoying, babies crying annoying, youth turning the church upside down annoying, if you find it all annoying, it might be, you know, you, the problem might be with you. It's not with them. Because guess what? Are you shocked that you too were young once? Wow, all those who cared for all of us, it's hard to believe, isn't it, Al? <laughs> 
All those who cared for us are probably in dementia wards right now. But it, it's so true. And I watch people. And I watch myself. And, you know, you see it in the morning congregations sometimes. Kids crying, we get upset, and people sort of, you know, get a little bit <clears throat> antsy. It noise, I want quietness in church. Don't, don't get too upset. Just keep it all cool and calm. No, let them make noise. You should make more noise all the time. What's wrong? Be like a child. Be full of joy and, and expression. Be, let's protect others as a child. We need to be disciplined as children. We need to forgive as we ask our kids to do. Uh, when we think of the future, we are a community, as has been said many, many times, of the redeemed, of the forgiven, of those who know what it's like to taste generosity, to feel the grace of God in our lives, to know what it means to deal with uh, speaking to others about Jesus. We also need to deal with pride and failure and reconciliation and those who think they're greater than what they are. You know, if you want to know who the greatest is, well, let's just look to Jesus. That'll sort of solve it, isn't it? Look to Jesus, who then is the greatest, someone who is like a child. As you embrace the weak, you embrace the vulnerable, and you embrace the child, and then we know about greatness. Jesus calls us to notice the nobodies in this world, to notice the nobodies and to redeem them and to respect them and to care for them. I got really annoyed during the week reading an article uh, on the ABC website. I won't go into too much detail because I got too annoyed about it, about abuse, uh, about a young man, his name was John. He was abused at the age of nine at the hands of Christian brothers. He was a migrant. Um, he came over to Australia, went into two homes for boys, for the vulnerable, that's what they were called and suffered terrible abuse, came from a poor family. And I'm not a lawyer, but the argument during the week was this. Man abused by Christian brothers deserves lower payout due to his poor upbringing, the lawyer says. I, I, just, I was just horrified. I thought in olden language, if there's ever a time to throw the book at someone, whether it's an individual or an institution, don't argue that because someone's from a poor background and the institution, that they deserve less. Why are you worried? They want to do with the money. It's not about the money. Is there something in the Bible you've missed about the vulnerable, the child, care? You know, you, want to, you need to rise downward to find the greatness that is there. Uh, it was just uh, an awful story, as far too many of those stories are. Far too many. And uh, the second point really is rising upwards. I use that image because I think uh, anyone who serves in that, uh, the rural fire service, wow, they've gone over and above. But we're now called, okay, we need to understand the holiness of God to rise upwards now to find what he would say is true value. And really the words that follow are quite harrowing and I won't spend too much time on them. And they, they are a metaphor, so you don't take them literally. But they're also a warning. And when we get to Hebrews next week, there's lots of warning passages in Hebrews. And we read this. If anyone causes one of these little ones... And you've got to understand Jesus' concern. So you've got to hold on to his concern. If you have one chance to speak to those who follow you and you're concerned at what they're doing with the vulnerable around them, 
then speak directly. Don't hope it goes away. And so he says, if anyone caused one of these little ones to stumble, uh, one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. It's such a profound warning that we all need to always take seriously because grace matters. The holiness of God matters. His work matters. Avoiding such a terrible consequence matters. He goes further and says, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now again, understand it's a metaphor. Don't go home and do this. If you struggle with self-harm, could you share that with someone tonight so they can show concern and love for you? But at the same time, I want to say for you, you know if I cut off a limb tonight or poke out my eye, you, you understand I can still sin, don't you? I've still got an eye left. I can cut off both legs and I can still sin. So it's not as if doing that's going to stop you sinning, but... The seriousness, as you look at the future, the seriousness of saying, look, there's a profound warning here. You've got to take it seriously. Avoid at all costs the consequence of eternal damnation. Avoid at all costs. Don't think somehow that that day isn't coming when there will be judgment. There will be a day that God will call us all to account. Take it seriously. And for the history of the church, we've taken this seriously. They're terrible words describing a terrible reality. It won't surprise you that the writer John Piper says this, if we don't reverence God as holy in our private lives, we are on a perilous path that will lead to destruction. And so that's why Jesus uses such language. You know, and this warning isn't for someone else who's not here. This warning is for us who are here. If we don't reverence God, wow. And you'll see this for those who like Hebrews. Hebrews 4 uses that great language. Do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. Don't be like that. Later on in a moment or two we're going to do communion. And as we've done for many, many uh, uh, times now, we invite people to come forward for prayer. And maybe you need to come forward for prayer tonight. My own personal view, I say it every time. I did it today at 10 o'clock. Every single person here needs to come forward for prayer and repent of something. I know I do. And so I know we heal about 9 o'clock tonight, so there's plenty of time. But maybe uh, you need to ask God for a softening of your heart. Maybe your attitude is in question. Maybe some of you who served on Ignite, maybe you felt tension with other leaders and it's unexpressed. It's still there. Maybe you need to come and give thanks for what God has done through Ignite or through general service. Maybe you need to come forward and pray for a new unborn. There's all sorts of reasons. Maybe you want to pray for God to use you. Maybe there's something happening in your world and you need God to pray for you. We invite you to do that in a little while. And finally, rising skywards to find true purpose. There have been so many images of koalas, I just couldn't use an image because sheep is a far better image, biblically speaking. 
But you want to understand the work of God, you want to rise skywards to the heavens, you want to know what God is concerned about and you want to find true purpose in your life, it is finding and chasing the one, the lost. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. They're so important. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owes a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look after for the one that have wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing to lose uh, these little ones should perish. He doesn't want that. And Luke 15 captures that as well. God cares for the weakest uh, God cares for the little ones. He's so concerned for those who are far away from him and maybe you need prayer tonight uh, for your family as well. Maybe you have people in your family life who are far away from God. See, these things matter. It matters our hearts. It matters how we engage. And when I think about the future of the church, you know, I have no doubts that it's going to require ongoing generosity, which is part of the DNA of fig tree, but it's easy to lose. It requires ongoing grace because that's easy to lose. And it's easy, easy to lose the proclamation of the gospel. We might think it doesn't matter. Maybe they don't need to hear about Jesus. Maybe we should hang out with the 99. That's not the Father's agenda and nor is it the Father's purpose. Uh, many years ago, in fact about a hundred years ago, uh, it was a situation, uh, some of you might know the language called uh, Boys Town. There was a group called Boys Town. And there was a young boy and uh, there was a father who started it, Father Flanagan. And he was watching a little guy carry another little guy and back in the day polio was pretty bad and some of you might also be aware of that journey a long time ago. And this little boy was carrying this other little boy up the stairs and the father Flanagan said, are you okay? Do you need a hand? And the little boy responded to father Flanagan and said, father, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Of course, you know I like something. Let's call it music. Fifty years ago, a band called the Hollies brought out a song called He Ain't Heavy. The road is long with many a winding turn that leads us to who knows where. But I'm strong, strong enough to carry him. He ain't heavy. He's my brother. So on we go. His welfare is of my concern. And if we ever hope to recapture some connection with the community, which I believe we've lost, this year and the next 10 years must show that we truly are concerned for those who are lost, those who are far away. No burden is he to bear. We'll get there. We'll get there together. And that's the call in our lives. That's the call that Christ says, be my people, not just today, not in the good days. I love, uh, I think it's the third song that the band sang, Emily sang and led us in it. I will praise you even in the valleys. It's got to be the most hardest place to praise God. It's much easier to praise God on the mountaintop when things are perfect. Finally, as our communion helpers get ready, thank you guys, you can go and do that and folks, uh, get that ready. The future of the church, humility like a child, must be there. Humility like a child. True greatness is there. That's where generosity of heart is seen. When you know it's not about me. Secondly, holiness that is treasured. There is true value. God is a God, a sovereign God who cares, who sent his son of the world, who will call us to account. 
There is true value. There is grace there. And finally, hearts for the lost. There is true purpose. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we always need to remember that everybody is a somebody to Jesus. Everybody is a somebody to Jesus. That's no matter who they are. And especially the ones who are most vulnerable. The ones who are far away from God are the ones we need to show special care and attention for. Uh, we're going to celebrate what God has done in and through his son. And uh, we're going to celebrate that by having communion. And uh, thanks Shane. And again, I'm going to read from God's word to do that. And uh, we invite you to come forward to uh, have communion with us. And also prayer, how we do the prayer is after you've had communion, you just come forward and then we praise here and we'd love to pray for you. Uh, but before we do that, again, we're mindful of what God has done. As if we're going to find true greatness and be like Christ, then we know his body was broken. We know his blood was shed. So let me paint the picture from Philippians 2. Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May it be that as we stop and acknowledge his death, his resurrection, his ascension, what he has done in our lives, may it be we too walk humbly in our own spirits, acknowledging what God has done.